0: Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine, with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This is part three of a conversation that started with a question from Dominique about Picking Your Starting Criteria. We ended last time by saying how important it is to learn how each horse's emotional behavior is expressed. What does frustration look like for your horse? The more you recognize the little signs that your horse is confused, the sooner you can adjust your training. So it's important to know both what your horse looks like when he's confused and when he's eager and excited, when he's content and calm, when he's frustrated, how does he express in different contexts, how does he express these uh, these different emotions? What is the emotional behavior that you see that tells you that everything is fine and you can keep going? Or hmm, maybe something's uh, just not quite as clear as it needs to be for your horse, and you need to make a little adjustment in your training. It's all part of learning how to listen to your horse, and then learning how to adjust your training so you make progress instead of explosions. We're going to continue on with this discussion of emotional behavior as we move into part three of our conversation about how you pick criteria. So it's really learning to recognize those signs yeah. much sooner. So, you know, I think about uh, Michaela Hempen's work with Blondie and she had this huge behavior that said, you know, okay, I have, I'm have, i pushing things too far. You know, I've, I've mm. asked for something that's way too hard, meaning Blondie would go right. off and crimp. You know, it's sort of like somebody going mm-hmm, off and mm-hmm. smoking a cigarette. So she had this big you know, I have, I have to go smoke a cigarette. I have to go crib behavior. But you don't want to get anywhere near that behavior in your training. You don't want to push things to the point where your, your horse is going off and smoking whatever form of, you know, expression of I have to go smoke a cigarette or mm, go look on my cell phone or whatever other avoidance behavior there is. And you don't want to go anywhere near that. So what are the little signs, the little tells, that this individual is finding this for whatever reason? It's finding this too hard or not interesting or um, any of the other explanatory fictions we come up with but uh, that lead to avoidance behavior
1: you know um sometimes i train in the aisle and there's a rubber mat and i use well when i train in the arena and i want to toss um carrots or or hay pellets i i use bowls because i don't want the horse to you know eat Mm -hmm. the sand and try to find the treat in the sand but when i'm in the aisle in the barn aisle because it's carpet it's it's rubber carpet everywhere i'll just throw um food on that on the floor okay and so sometimes i'll do that yeah. i'll throw food on the floor it's kind of the end of the session or because i want to go in the little the place where the food is while my horse is staying there so he's staying in the middle of the aisle i throw the food there and by the time he's finished eating you know it, it's already prepared it's kind of on a counter not far from where we're training but it gives me about yeah. like five, 10 seconds to get my refill So sometimes there's one or two little pieces of carrots that will be farther away, or it stays on the ground. And we kind of, and I haven't really noticed it. So we resume the session, and there's still a little bit of something on the ground. And, you know, we're working, and the horse is just eating the treats, and there's a loop, and, you know, there's a flow to it. But the other day I was asking Woody something, and all of a sudden, He got interested in what was on the floor. And I thought, oh my God, you hear that about dogs, you know, that they'll start sniffing when it becomes too difficult. But this was my horse, and he was doing exactly that. You know, it was (laughs) a little bit too hard for him. And so the rhythm of the session slowed down all of a sudden because he had to go see what that little piece of carrot on the floor, you know, was about. So These are little things. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he was staying there. He was willing to continue to work. But the the rhythm changed all of a sudden. And that piece of carrot was there a minute ago. And he was not interested in it. And all of a sudden, when I'm asking for something slightly harder, he's very interested in that piece of carrot on the floor. So that says something.
0: That's Mm -hmm. an important tell. And those breaks in rhythm. Because that's one of the values of the loopy training Mm. you get. There's this rhythm, this flow, and you know that your loop is clean when the rhythm is clean. Exactly. Yeah. The break of the rhythm is a big message. Yeah. Yeah. And you get really tuned to, um, to any little bobble in that rhythm because it means something. You know, I think the rhythm is
1: probably the one thing that makes a loop the most recognizable. Yes. That rhythm is, you know, you have a clean loop when you have that rhythm.
0: You not only have a clean loop, but, and this goes back to the very beginning of our conversation. When you ask, you know, what's, what's the criterion? Mm. How do you choose the criterion? Are you, uh, that you say that the criterion is already there before you shift and make that mm. the next clickable moment. You know that you have not just a clean loop, but a clean training progression when the rhythm doesn't change as you move your criterion, Ooh. as you nudge your yeah, criterion that's good. along. That's mm. what we're really after. So there, there mm. aren't these sudden breaks because you've, you've moved yep, to a new exactly. criterion and the loop falls apart a little bit. So when I say, you know, the criterion is already happening, so I'm noticing that that there has been this shift that uh, sort of the bending of the coat hanger, the more you bend it, the softer it gets. Or, uh, for example, the, this exercise that I've been doing against with the wall exercise, the more you do it, the more coordinated The horse becomes in the exercise the more coordinated you become the easier it becomes and the more the more you can do within that exercise sort of think about learning a dance step and you know first you have really thinking about where you put each foot and and then you can start to add in more elements and as you learn it you can add Mm -hmm. more bells and whistles because you're Cord- you've got the coordination. There's, there's a smoothness that comes in. And each, each time you nudge it forward a little bit, there's no mm-hmm. break in the rhythm. You almost, watching it, you wouldn't really be able to say, oh, she's just changed right. what she's clicking for. She's changed what she's clicking for. It's, oh, she's clearly clicking for this instead of that. It's like, no. It's so smooth, you don't, that doesn't stand out. You just see the behavior growing, developing, becoming smoother. It's becoming more complex, but there aren't these little breaks. That's really what we're looking for. We're looking for clean, loopy teaching progression not just a clean loop that's a that's a new see we keep talking about how do we talk about it how do we teach it how do we teach it better well that's that's a I think a real clarification in terms of how we talk about Mm -hmm. it how we think about it when you are training are there abrupt stop and go, stop and go as you shift your criterion? Um, so the micro-shaping strategy, one of the, one of the real benefits of it is that you could change your criterion after you had done a little bit of the um, second behavior. So in the micro-shaping strategy, you have two mm-hmm. behaviors that you're focused on. One is the behavior that you want mm-hmm. to improve that you want to change. And the other is... Something they already know. What is for your... That's easy for them. Something that's really easy. Something that has a deep history of reinforcement sitting behind it. So you're working on the first behavior. You know, we were talking about Spanish walk a while while back. So maybe you're working on Spanish Mm. walk with one of your horses. And your criterion is... knee coming up really high. And so you work on, uh, maybe you're doing a body part targeting where the knee is coming up really high so that the uh, foreleg is parallel to the ground. And you click and treat that, you click and treat that, you make a little progress. And then you go, you give your horse a break by doing some Hmm. simple nose touches targeting. So you hold your hand out, and he touches your hand, click, treat, touches your hand, click, treat, touches your hand, click, treat. Easy peasy. horse doesn't have to think about it. It's not physically taxing, but he's on a really high rate of reinforcement. And then you go back to focusing on uh, the Spanish walk, the something in that gesture. But because you have had that break with the targeting, you can now change your criteria the criterion that you're looking for. So now maybe you're looking for the foot coming out more. And so that's what you're going to focus on. And because you've mm-hmm. had that break with the targeting, you can change your idea of what it is that you're going to be reinforcing.
1: And I assume that your horse mm, it's easier if your horse has previous experience with that that they know that this means that criterion may be different the next time around. Because the, the thing with changing criterion is that we have to let the horse know that it's it's not that, because usually when we withhold the click, it means either you're not doing it right, find something else, because this is not quite what the criterion is. Right. Or it may mean, it's great, just do more of it, because all of a sudden, I, human, have decided that it's duration we're working on all of a sudden. So now, don't change what you're doing, I like it, just do more of it. How is the horse supposed to know which one it is? You know, where's the clarity for the horse that, first of all, we've changed criterion, And then we're no longer working on the behavior itself. We're working on duration of this behavior. So, you know, there there has to be those moments where you're trying to communicate to the horse, something's different now, okay? So don't get frustrated, don't just think, or, or just don't disengage, because I know, for instance, Woody would be the kind of horse that if he doesn't know the answer really quickly, he's gone. He doesn't want to be wrong. He wants to know where we're going. And so he'll let me know really quickly that I'm not clear. And so yeah. that's the challenge uh, to find these tricks. So in this case, what you're saying is, and I'm, sh- and what, and if you do it enough time, the horse will know, okay, when we're going back, this is going to be different. You know, it's going to be a different criterion.
0: Right. Cause that's one of the things, that's one of the things that you are, Uh, that the horse is learning early on when you first start experimenting with the micro shaping strategy that the horse can learn that expect it to be a little different.
1: In a way, it's a concept when you say, well, after the nose target with your horse in the micro shaping strategy, it's a concept for the horse to know that when we return, you know, the criterion will be different. Yes. So Different. that too is a, yeah. it has to go th- through a teaching process, and hopefully you use easy behaviors to teach that
0: concept. That, yeah, that's the that's the point of simple basic behaviors. Is that if you were trying to teach a complex concept mm-hmm. using a complex behavior, mm-hmm. it would be too complex. Um, but if you take a simple behavior, then you can look at it you can look at a whole lot of really complex concepts but use these simple behaviors Mm -hmm. as examples you know i'm forever using the foundation lessons as the descriptor of some of the concepts that we talk about people must think doesn't she ever do anything other than teach those (laughs) those six it's like well actually Pretty much what I work on are those six foundation lessons, but it's it's sort of like having six letters that uh you can mm-hmm. spell an awful lot of words with. If you have the right letters, you can spell an awful lot of words. And there's a concept it, uh, that as, as teachers that's important to understand. It's, if you pick the right letters, it's astounding what you can do with them. If you give me Z and Q and X and you know, I might, I might, and no vowels, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do very much with them, sort of like playing Scrabble, and you look at the, these letters that you've drawn, and you think, oh, you know, give me a break, I can't spell anything with these, and then, but you get some other letters, other combinations, and you can spell all kinds of things.
1: You know, I think targeting and... is like that white letter in Scrabble. You know that white letter that you can use yeah. and it can become any word you want yep. any vo- any letter you want I think targeting is that is a white letter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So you you asked a question to start us off. And and I have a, a question which may draw us draw our afternoon conversation who knows where down what rabbit holes. But in the um, in the online course, the Off to a Great Start course, I've been asking people to introduce themselves and we talk about the you know what your core belief system is and and what you want to do with your horses. And I've just been absolutely floored and astounded and delighted. By some of the answers that people have given, and they're they're talking about in their core belief system, you know that what I talk about—that horses are intelligent beings—and they talk about uh, that how important it is to provide for the horse's welfare and that to provide for his emotional well-being, and that when we have Horses under our care—that it's our responsibility to make sure that their emotional needs are met. It's just—it's yeah. beautiful reading. I mean, it's just beautiful reading. I should ask them all if 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 I could share some of it because there's some astounding statements.
1: I just joined in, by the way, that today. Oh. Yeah, I just started today.
0: Yeah, so you you've got you've got some good reading ahead of you. One person. Uh, talked about creating, that she thinks of it as being a success garden. A success? A success garden. Garden. Yeah, I thought, what Mm. a great metaphor. But it also made me think about how much this has changed. Sort of like, wasn't paying any attention, wasn't Mm. looking, and the world has changed. Uh, Because I think back to I'd asked the same question 10 years ago 15 20 years ago people would have written mm. very different things you know when they t- when we talk about what is it that you want to be able to do with your horse what's your big dream they would have been talking about oh well, I want to ride and I want to compete and show and do you know these um, not I want to mm. make my horse happy that's a huge shift. So, I wanted to ask because when you started with Kavalya, my understanding is that you were not, you had not had the great good fortune of having grown up with horses mm. and spent time with horses. And so you were stepping into the horse world. And to just think about some of the belief systems that you would have encountered, been exposed to and some of the horse training that you would have seen that evolved out of that. And then how you have managed to really maintain that firm anchor of horse welfare throughout all of that and how that has influenced, impacted, maybe made you even uh, stronger in your, in your core belief, because there's nothing like contrast. I don't know whether this is something that you you want to talk about now, but I just thought, uh, you know, if you were describing your core belief system now, is it different? Has it changed? How have you managed, if it hasn't changed, what, how have you managed to keep that core focus in the midst of so many pulls to take it in other directions
1: i don't think it has changed i think my core beliefs has always been the same um i just know more now i have more knowledge but <clears throat> i remember the very first one of the very first conversation i had with uh, at the time our what we used to call our horse whisperer was frédéric pignon and he was um he was married to magali delgado so frédéric was our um more well he was our question director and our liberty main trainer and she was more dressage, she was more writing but i remember my one of the very first conversation i had with him what struck me the most was when he said um <clears throat> that he wanted to give a voice to the horses i will always remember wow. that and it really resonated with me because that's what I wanted for the horses too. And Magalie once said something too that I thought, hmm. And I guess for us clicker trainer, will that will resonate a lot as well? Um, she said, you know, what we do is we teach our horses to say yes. And I thought that was really, you know. And, and I wasn't a trainer at the time. I didn't know anything. I mean, I didn't even know how to lead Bye. a horse. You know, I remember, I remember some of the artists showed me how to brush a horse and I thought, ooh, that's so exciting. <laughs> um, and then to lead a horse, they gave me, we had an old horse his name was choice but you know he was retired at the time he was 23 years old and that was the horse they gave me to teach me how to lead a horse from point a to point b (laughs) choice wouldn't have done anything no matter what you know so it was perfect and i thought that was really exciting to take choice from point a to point b so (laughs) um but i already had all and maybe even more so because i wasn't um, brought up in the horse world um i had you know this this value that the horses should have a voice, and when later on, when I the first time I had some writing lessons, not with not with positive reinforcement, with just traditional uh, training, my main thought was, well, I think the horse doesn't like it very much. It seemed to me that. You know the horse really wanted this lesson to be over and done with as soon as possible and i did not want to engage in that i had zero interest in riding a horse that wasn't enjoying himself zero for me it was like why would i want to do that yeah. if he doesn't like it you know and i kept asking the artist i kept saying he doesn't look like he's enjoying it very much you know and i wanted it to be like <laughs> when i throw a ball at my dog He's enjoying it and he's bringing the ball back to me. And that's the kind of relationship I want with a horse, you know, like throwing a ball to my dog. I mean, he can't wait. He will nudge me until I start throwing the ball. That's the kind of riding horse I want. So yes, for, for a while after that, when I discovered what the horse world was like, really, I became very sad. I became very sad. I, I became very mad, and I always was the voice for the horses. But there was a there was even a, a point where, you know, I, I I asked myself if I wanted to be in that world at all, and and I had no idea. You know, as you know, we we I, we traveled everywhere and we saw all kinds of horses um, in different barns, and I mean, I remember well. Maybe I shouldn't go into too much details, but, you know, there's some practices with horses all over, even in the United States, you know, where I was like, what, this yeah. is happening in and, and these days? I was so appalled at some of the things that I saw all over the world that, you know, I thought this is, this is very ugly. I mean, it looks very nice and prestigious and, you know, all these people... Are giving carrots at the end of it to their horses, but there's all this stuff happening, which I find actually very violent. But then, you know, as as um, I met some, I also met some wonderful people. You know, I talked about Frederic Pino and Magali Delgado. They were wonderful people. Yes. They were looking for ways that were different. Um, that was the basis of the show, actually. But I guess what really made a big difference, of course, for me was uh, you and Susan Friedman. You know, when I read some, because I was surrounded by people, even in the dog world, you still had that, you know, where people will say, "Oh, you, you, your, your dog will be all over you." You know, I mean, we we all know this. Um, you know, the Caesar Milan era, you know, I had all the books and I had read all that. And so, but I remember the first time when I read um, Susan Friedman's article, Effectiveness is Not Enough. And that I, I realized that there was so much science behind the legitimacy of, of positive reinforcement. And then I I decided I wanted to do it with the horses and I contacted you and you came in and we started working and I saw the, 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 the change in the horses that were finally like when you throw a ball to your dog that couldn't wait to work. And so I guess yeah. my core value has always been I want the horse to be happy that's that's what I like to see that's what I want to participate in, but then clicker training gave me the means to get there. Because before that, you know, even when I saw some very gentle traditional trainers, and I I saw a lot of good, gentle, respectful traditional trainers, it still wasn't exactly I will, I didn't want to do what they were doing. I was not interested in doing that. I didn't want to use um, a whip. Um, You know, I remember once um, a girlfriend of mine had me ride her horse and he wouldn't move. And she knew, you know, my values. And she said, well, I'm going to give you the whip. Don't use it. I know you don't want to use it. But just the fact that you'll have it in your hand, he's going to move. And so, you know, I reluctantly took the whip. Of course, I didn't use it. And sure enough, the horse moved forward the minute I had the whip in my hand. And I didn't like any of that you know, even that the fact that I would need to have mm. that whip, even if I wasn't going to use it, I thought, it's not, the, it's not what I want. So I don't know if that answers your question. But I think my core values has no, never does. changed. They were always there. Um, it was something that was probably there when I was a kid. And because I was not raised around horses, I think it kept intact. I was not Condition to see, and and every time I remember, because sometimes with Cavalier, we would do things for kids, and I always thought when the kids made comments, they were so accurate. They really said what they saw, you know. Mm. They they wouldn't sugarcoat yeah. it. They wouldn't, um, you know, because they didn't have all the brainwashing around respect and all these words, and so they would just say it with their kid's heart. And I think I'm still like that, you know, today I still see with those eyes Mm. and, um, and that's what I enjoy with my horses. You know, it's, it's, I just feel every time. And I think most of us clicker trainers have that feeling that, you know, our horses come to us running because they want to work, they enjoy the work. And then when you start mastering more a little bit, it's great because you, not only feel that you have a happy horse, but you're doing cool stuff too. You know, that sometimes you're pretty yes. amazed that you're, you know, you're like, oh man, I train. Because my horses are trained yeah. by me. You, you worked on Bonanza um, some when, when you came. Yeah. And actually, you know, his probably, whenever he doesn't know what he's going to do, he piafs. And that's because of you. <laughs> It's like his default behavior. Okay, I'm gonna do pief. So um that's an interesting yeah, thing yeah. to be blamed for. You know, sometimes piaf. I have to click <laughs> him for not moving his feet. like <laughs> Because he always wants to do that, but it's a, yeah. it's a subtle behavior. It took me a while to actually realize it. Yes. No, because sometimes you're looking at other parts yeah. and he's just doing it very small, but still he's he's piefing, you know, like oh, that's not what I asked for. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I don't know, it's a
0: long answer for... a uh, Yeah, hmm. no, it's a good answer. Because I, I think you get sort of two experiences uh, that you hear. So often you will hear people who are giving the, their account of how they got to positive reinforcement training. And often it was through the root of, they yeah they trained traditionally they Hmm. used traditional methods they bought into traditional methods and then they began to understand some more of what that actually meant and now they feel really regretful over some of the things that they did and you and you just feel really it's like oh Well, I think there are two things, too, because Uh I
1: was I was not that young, actually, when I started. And also, I, you know, I'm a very active person, but I'm not a very sporty person. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's with, with the dogs, I, like I said, I did read Caesar Milan, and I remember one of my dogs, I brought her to a trainer and he showed me how to make her lie down by pulling on her, on her, on the lead down and then to correct her when she was pulling. So I did do some, you know, of that with the dog, but I guess with the, by the time I got to the horses, I didn't feel I had the kind of strength anyway that would allow me to mm-hmm. get into a right. physical competition with a horse. I thought they were big and a little bit scary. Um, so I wouldn't have dreamed <laughs> yeah. of correcting a horse at the time, I would have been too scared, I think. So I, I it's it's not that, um, you know, maybe if if I had started younger and I was strong and more of a sporty type, maybe I would have had that same kind of a parcours parkour of um, Of journey but um because those those core values somehow were cheated when it came to my very first dog because I had those values and still you know I was somehow influenced into I hated it and I thought it wasn't very efficient you know because I remember that she was still pulling on the lead but um yeah. So I guess the fact that the, the horse was is such a big animal in a way um, prevented me from maybe
0: going into more of a yeah, going down that road, yeah, because when you when you're a, a learner, when you're a novice, whether it's with dogs or horses, you know you you don't know what's possible. And so of course you're going to, follow the instructions of people who've been there before you. That wonderful description of a teacher, a teacher is someone who started before you. And so they, if someone is telling you, you know, with the horse, you really need to be firm Mm -hmm. and show them who's boss. You think, Oh, okay. Um, I guess, you know, you're more experienced, you know, better. I'll, I'll do that. I'll learn how to do that. I don't really like it, but I guess this is how you handle horses And then you start learning that there's an alternative. Because in
1: your heart, you always know that, you know, when you say, and usually people don't like it. That's not the reason why they got a horse in the first place. So they end up whipping their horse and they hate it. So they know deep down that that's not what they want to do. That's not who they are. And maybe at some point, you know, when if you become really good at these methods, maybe it's harder to let it go but i think you know i've seen trainers do their job and cry at the end of the day because they didn't like what they were doing so yeah wow you know when and and i guess for you hear the story always whether it's with dogs or horses that there's this one animal that yes. it just even though you went the route you were shown and you really tried to to do it that this animal was too much of a challenge and it just did not work. And that's usually how people start to look for something else and find clicker training and positive reinforcement. And I guess for some people, I know that some people they come and go and as the years go, as time evolves, they finally embrace it and other people just won't go back. You know, they just discover it and yeah. that's it. Uh, you know, this is it for me. Yeah. Yep. So there's
0: different journeys to get to the. Yes. Very, yeah. Very different journeys. It's sort of for, for some of us, it just feels like. home. Yeah. For me, it
1: was right yeah, away. Just, okay. It was just, this is home. I mean, I yeah. I remember the first time you came to my home and it was just finally I had found a um a person who who thought like me felt like me so it did
0: feel like yeah. home cuz i would say our core our core beliefs around animals yeah. are very similar um, you know we we've, we've had mm-hmm. very different experiences yeah. but that core belief in terms of of how we want the relationships that we want to have with our animals I would say mm. is a really good match. And you can you can jump into training at the level of methods, at the re- level of outcomes, or you can jump into training at the level mm. of core belief systems. And I think the the more satisfying one is to jump in at the level of mm. core belief systems. You know, that's, that's when you really stay.
1: But what's great is when you realize that you can have both, you know. That's the beauty yes. of it is that all of a sudden you see all these advantages. It's not just that you're not in contradiction with yourself anymore. It
0: works. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's amazing, yeah. you know, because I, I know there are, there are a lot of you know we'll call them experienced horse trainers who when they encounter the, the you know, the, all of us nice sweet we don't want to yell at our horses and and I think oh just sort of you can see them rolling their eyes oh this horse Mm. is going to be walking all over them and then you look at oh wait a minute their horse is standing quietly for the vet it's what am I seeing here their horse just stepped up on the x-ray plate by himself (laughs) and um you know all of those things it's like oh wow you can have you can have this uh wonderful relationship and this amazing mm. performance as well. It's a it's a great way to train. Great way to train.
1: Maybe those the, the thing too, maybe is that our community, maybe it attracts people who are not as competitive as you know some of the traditional circles would. I don't know if that's that will be true for a long time, but I know that when I look at some of the things that really skilled traditional trainers do, but if they do it in a way that I'm finding is violent I will not be impressed I will not want to be I wouldn't want to do that with my horse I wouldn't care you know sometimes I look at dressage competition and I want to throw up I don't want to be there just get me out of here um so I for me the what is technically brilliant is not what touches my heart, what I want to spend time looking at. I'm not very interested in that. And and I recognize, you know, that sometimes I recognize that people can do really complicated things with their horses, but I don't know, it doesn't, um, I'm not impressed
0: by that too much. Yeah, it's how you get there, though. It shows in the horse, and so I I don't envy
1: the relationship they have with their horse. That's I think that's what it is. I wouldn't I wouldn't trade.
0: Mm. Well, I know that at clinics a lot. I've had a lot of people who come in and they'll say, you know, what I want to do is I want to use, I want to mm. compete with my horse. Because I want to show people in the horse world that you can right, do right. it with positive, which is a great positivity. goal. It's a great goal, and I think that's a, I yeah. think it's a, it's a great goal, and there have been individuals who've been very successful in doing that. I mean, we had that wonderful interview. We've been at this long enough that I could say a couple of years ago. Uh, well, not quite that long ago, but but that one with with yeah with with Becky Chapman. It was a great example. Yeah, I
1: remember and there were things about whether they were allowed to have shoes or no shoes in the competition. Yeah, yeah, I remember this interview. Yeah,
0: because right, they they changed the rules because after she won, Mm. they changed the rules. So in any event, you know, it's a it's a great goal. But what I often find is a year or two down the pike when I when we're talking again with these individuals they're not that interested anymore in the showing because they're recognizing that the way that the competition Mm. is currently structured, they would have to compromise so many things in how they want to train, Mm. how they want to present a horse, what Mm. is good for a horse, you know, what is in their horse's Mm -hmm. best interest, that uh, and that the relationship becomes the relationship that they have with their horse becomes so yeah. interesting that uh, that they no longer have the need for that extrinsic validation of what mm-hmm. they're doing and that would be that would be an interesting thing to you know an interesting conversation to have with some of the people who do compete. Uh, you think about you mentioned Michelle Pouliot you know she competes in with the dogs in the canine freestyle but
1: it's wonderful to look at her with her dogs because they really look like they're enjoying themselves
0: right so you can train to Mm -hmm. a very high standard and maintain an amazing relationship and what we want to say is you know the High standard that you would want to see presented in competition should be a standard that is set for that takes into account the welfare of the horse. Um, there's a
1: long way to go for that. I, I think, think the dog world is cer- certainly more advanced than the horse world in terms of competition. Yeah. I think I think there's still probably a lot that I wouldn't like to see in the dog world, but it just seems to me yeah. that it's not as, that it's more advanced.
0: I, I think there are horses, I've known horses mm. who love to jump, but do we have to do That high, jumps that wide? As that high, yeah. Then can't we mm. show the joy that a horse has instead of the extreme limits mm. of his physicality? And who knows, we may, we may start to evolve in that direction because, you know, when I read some of the comments from the people in the online course, as I say, I'm just, I'm just blown away by how they express what they want from the relationship with a horse. It has changed. What many of them would have said 10 years ago would be very different. So we are changing. Uh, this exposure to positive reinforcement, the exposure to the possibilities that clicker training creates, changes what we begin to know that mm-hmm. we can look for. That's the profound piece, that we can look for. You know, and I think about the shutdown horses, and I remember riding horses where I thought, this horse has sort of, it's almost as though the horse has said, do what with me what you will, and when you're all done, just uh, let me know and I'll come back and inhabit my body. Right, right. We are now seeing the, the wholeness of horses, the aliveness of horses, the expression of their personality. Punishment suppresses. Punishment suppresses people. It suppresses horses. Punishment is there to suppress behavior. And so if what you are used to are horses that have been trained with punishment, you are seeing a shut down individual. You're seeing a shell of a horse. And when you start experiencing the joy that is horses, and whether you're using clicker training or you're using some other uh, approach um, in the training that is horse friendly and supports relationship I think what we are really discovering is a much richer relationship mm. that you can have with horses
1: and, and there are the you joy. know there are many ways to do that I know for, because I don't think you know liberty work would have been you you wouldn't have seen a lot of that let's say a hundred years ago you know, it's, you just rode your horse. And when he wasn't rideable anymore, thank you, goodbye. But I know for myself, you know, I see people riding and all doing all these things. And that's not what I do with my horses. I don't ride them much. You know, I don't, (laughs) they're older, but even I just enjoy the liberty work with them. That's what I do. And so, you know, I could feel like I'm when I'm in the arena, I could feel like people may think, what is she doing? You know, with, she's not riding her horses. But actually, you know, I find people are intrigued by what I do because I'm in my bubble. You know, I just do my thing. I enjoy my horses. I'm, I'm teaching them all kinds of weird things. And, and sometimes people ask me, oh, you know, I've, I've had so many people come to me and I never promote anything. I just do my thing. I yep. never talk about clicker training or positive reinforcement. I don't talk about liberty. I just don't talk about what I do with my horses. But people ask me because, you know, at some point they see things and they say, huh, <laughs> they, they do that, you know, they can yeah. do that. So, yeah, I think it's opening up, you know, there are all kinds of Uh, possibilities. You know, you hear people do agility, which was probably something you would never have seen 50 50 years ago. So I think it's great because first of all, older horses are still being, are still engaged with their owners. They're not being left out in the field. And it's just more ways to, you know, if you get older, you don't want to sit on a horse anymore. You can still have a ball with your horse.
0: Yes, that's right. And you can absolutely ride because there are ways of introducing riding, so the horse right. invites you up on their back. and then it just expands their relationship in a, in a different direction.
1: Yeah, it won't be a
0: bucking contest. No. no. It won't be a bucking contest. And it will be the horse is inviting you up and onto is enjoying that. And, and hmm. enjoy and is enjoying it. yeah. Uh, lots to think about, but I think this is a, a good place to draw things to a close for the afternoon, and we will pick up the conversation again next time. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about the online clinics, do please visit my website, clickercenter.com. There you'll find lots of information, detailed descriptions of all of the courses, the reasoning behind them, how they're run, the complete course syllabus, lots and lots of information. And if you have any questions, you can always email me directly. So I hope to see you at one of the clinics very soon. And now the weather is beautiful. It's just a gorgeous spring day. The horses are waiting. So I'm going to make this short and just head out to the barn. And I hope you all have a wonderful week with your horses. Have fun, stay safe, and we'll see you next time.